joking. <laughs> I told you I was going to do this last week, but my microphone wouldn't work. And sure enough, when I tried it uh, all week this week, it worked just fine. So um, the question becomes, can I be a Christian without going to church? Can I be a Christian without joining the church? And that's a question I hear all the time as a pastor that I've heard for many years. Dan, is it really necessary that I show up on a Sunday morning? Well, let me read to you what the Wesleyan Christian Advocate uh, once said in an article. I'm not sure that this is in publication anymore, but I found it fitting to, to answer this question. Yes, it is possible. It's something like being a student who will not go to school, a soldier who will not join an army, a citizen who does not pay taxes or vote, a salesman with no customers, an explorer with no base camp, a seaman on a ship without a crew, a businessman on a deserted island, an author without readers, a tuba player without an orchestra, a parent without a family. A football player without a team, a politician who is a hermit, a scientist who does not share his findings, and a bee without a hive. So yeah, it's possible, but it's not what God planned. It's not what God designed. Christianity is a faith of love and grace. We need to first and foremost understand that. But it's also a faith of obedience, it's a faith of understanding what God has said and then actually doing what God says. And part of that includes church. Now, you're going to hear the word church a lot today because that's what our sermon is about in our series of what we believe. But I'm speaking of the church primarily as a unit. When we say church, we think about a place and we think about an activity. We use it as a verb. I'm going to go do church today. But I want to look a little bit deeper than that. Our faith is a faith of obedience, an obedience that God has called us to, and that includes church. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, you all know this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching or drawing near. It is clear that the assembly, church, that we have here this morning is of great importance. It is vital in our development as believers that we are here. It's an important subject because the church is extremely important to Jesus. Never, ever think that Christ doesn't care about the church. I think sometimes we get it in our minds that he really doesn't mind. He really doesn't care about the church. So, so we'll just kind of make it our own and do things. No, he cares deeply. In fact, it is the church that he sacrificed for. According to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, this is Paul telling husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself up for her. Christ died for the church. So how do you view the church? 
How do you view it? Is it yours? Do you view the church as, that's my, it's my gathering place, that's my possession? Does it line up? Does your view line up with God's view about the church? If it doesn't, I challenge you this morning to realign your views to match what God says. I'm telling you, you're going to be better off following what God says than what you can think or want it to be. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you be with this message this morning. That you would guide my words. Guide our hearts and our minds, Father, to listen and to be obedient. We thank you, Jesus, for paying the ultimate price for your church. That whoever would believe would have eternity with you. There is no greater gift that we could ever receive than the gift of being called yours. So we thank you, Jesus, so much for loving your church, for guiding your church. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 15 through 16. Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This passage from Chapter, from chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to the end of uh, that chapter in verse 32, is about the church. The body of Christ. But I want to clear up some misconceptions regarding the church. These are things that we often hear in our modern uh, time. We've heard actually for many years. First, the biblical church is not this building. These floors, these walls, anything in this place, this is not the church. It is not a physical place, a standing building. This building is a place where the church meets. And if this building were to fall in or somehow burn down, we know that's the history of this, of this church that's happened before, we would still be the church. This building, nor its contents, define who we are. The church is not a social club. For some reason, we treat it as such. So much so that we pick and choose who gets to come in and join this place. The church has long look down on those who don't necessarily fit in with what they think they should be. The church has a history of, of hurting people who need Jesus but don't want anything to do with organized religion. Why? Because the church has been mean to a lot of people. 
The church has looked at people and said, you know what? You don't look like us. You don't speak like us. You don't dress like us. So you can't be here. Now, there are churches who actually say those things. And there are churches who don't say those things, but they say them with their actions and the way they treat others. We've taken what God has died for and we've made it a social club. This is a place where I get to come and visit with my friends and family and, and just do what I want to do. That's not what the church is. It is not a social club. But it's a body of believers in Jesus Christ with a specific nature and we have a specific purpose. And you'd be surprised when you read scripture to understand that this, the purpose of church is not to come and just hang out, but it's to be transformed and equipped in order to fulfill our nature, which is to go make disciples. We must understand what the church is and what it isn't. The church is not in place of God. It is not in place of God, yet we treat the building as if it is God himself. That is not the church. We are not to replace God with anything because he is not replaceable. He is the only. He is the only one that deserves our attention and worship. This is a place where God's children completely commit to doing his will here on earth. The church is us. It's you and me. In all of our differences, in all of our physical differences and spiritual differences and whatever you want to say, it's us. A bunch of misfits I love when I look at the, the apostles, when Jesus first calls his disciples, who is, he doesn't call the best. He calls young men who are fishing with their father. He calls a young married guy, Peter, to come follow him. By the way, you're not going to be able to bring your wife. He called people who were not society's best, a tax collector, who wants to hang out with them. Yet Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's part of his church. This is his, not ours. And how dare we ever think otherwise? It doesn't matter where we meet, when we come together, it doesn't matter what we're sitting on, what we're standing behind, what, what it looks like. We are the church. We are. Everybody pinch yourself. You're the church. Does that hurt? You feel that? The building won't feel that. You do. Why? Because you're the church. It's you. The church is called to maturity. And the church is called to unity. The church is called to maturity, and the church is called to unity. 
We must be people of the word in a way that changes and challenges us to be better. So as this happens, we begin journeying towards a maturity. And there are a couple specific evidences for maturity in the body of Christ, but I want to look at two this morning. The first one is that an evidence of maturity is the truth joined with love. That is a a marker of a maturing body of Christ. And I'm not talking maturity about getting old. Okay? I'm talking maturing in your faith. And you mature the more you learn to apply. The more you're obedient. The more you do God's will, the more mature you grow in your faith. Because church, that is the ultimate goal, isn't it? Is to mature in your faith. Not to take back steps. Not to remain in the elemental teachings that the Bible says to get out of, but to get to the meat. Because in the meat is where we find where we're supposed to be doing and living and growing in. If you're saved, that's great. You're saved. Let's move beyond salvation. That salvation is yours. Hold on to it. The Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How does that happen? You need to be obedient to God's work. In his will. Not because you're being saved by that, but because you've already been saved. It's your response to God's grace is to say, here I am, send me, Lord. Your church. There's an old saying, and I don't know who said it, so maybe if you guys know who say it, let me know. Truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. We are called as we mature as a church to join truth and love together. These two go hand in hand. These are how we're supposed to be, especially with the nature or with the maturity of of the body of believers. As we mature, we join these two closer and closer. Truth and love, truth and love. Jesus says to share the truth in what? Love. This is his commands. One of the signs of an immature believer is that they have a hard time joining truth and love together. That is a sign of immaturity in your faith. So if you find yourself all about love and no truth or all about truth and no love, you are immature in your faith. They go hand in hand. It's hard to confront people with the truth, especially people you know. I, I have no problem confronting someone who I don't know to say, hey, you know what, this is, this is the way we're supposed to be living. But, but when you go to somebody you love and you have to be truthful with them and honest with them, it's, it's difficult because you're afraid of ruining a relationship, aren't you? You're, afru- you're, you're, you're afraid of, of possibly damaging something that, that has been created there. Yet, it is exactly what we're to do. Oftentimes we try to shield the ones we love from the truth. Church, that is dangerous. And that is a sign of immaturity. And that's also hypocrisy. If you are sheltering someone you love from the truth, you are doing damage. I worked in drug treatment center for a few years during college, and I remember talking to some parents of the kids who were there, and they would always say, well, I just didn't know how to tell him. 
I just loved him too much to... No, no, no. If you love them, you share the truth with them. Otherwise, we enable people to do and be in the lifestyle that they're in. We cannot hide the truth. But we have to do this in love. Real love for someone always is immersed in truth. Always. That's real love. I know people who haven't shared the gospel with family members because they love them too much and they're afraid it's going to ruin a relationship. I'm telling you, if you love that person, you will share with them how to be saved so that they are not in eternal torment in hell. It is love to be the church and stand on truth. Not to go and point people out saying, oh, you're, you're gay, you're going to hell, or you're this, or you're going to hell. That's not what the Bible says. In truth and in love, that means as we share with them the truth, we love them. And love them means that we're going to come alongside them and help them as much as we can. We're going to pray for them. We're going to encourage them. Not in their lifestyle, but in what God is asking them to be. It is possible to love people and not agree with them. For some reason, we separate that. If you're a Republican, it's possible to love a Democrat. Democrats, you can love a Republican. Straight people, you can love gay people. It's okay. Because they're only going to find the truth through you. So love them. You don't have to agree with them. Stand on truth. Stand on this. But you can do so with love. Pointing them towards the truth. Never giving an agreement. But always showing them the different way. It's possible. But we have a whole culture of church people that don't think that can work. And it does work. That's why people are leaving the lifestyle of homosexuality and becoming Christians. Because they've been loved to that decision. But stood firm on saying we can't agree with that. It works. And we can be a part of that. Real love is immersed in truth. The truth must be told, especially spiritual truth. The truth can be life-saving for people. We are to, when we're able to share the truth in love with our fellow Christians, it's evidence of maturity. It speaks, man, that's a person who is growing in their faith, who understands what Scripture says. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it. He said, God's truth judges created things out of love, and Satan's truth judges them out of envy and hatred. Let that sink in for a moment. God's truth judges created things out of love. The goal is restoration, repentance, life. But when we judge people without love, or when we love people without truth, that is not the way God operates. We have to be together in that. Sharing truth and love, it's difficult, but it's necessary in the maturity of the believer. Just consider what King Solomon said 
Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke with hidden love, or uh, sorry, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What is that passage saying? It's saying truth without love is dangerous. Love without truth is dangerous. We have to have them together. We have to be able to rebuke. We have to be able to love, to bind up the wounds. Lastly, sign of maturity is unity and cooperation. Unity and cooperation is an evidence of maturity in the church. A mature church understands that we need one another. A mature church understands that everyone is valuable. That everyone can contribute. That everyone absolutely matters. That's what a mature church sees. We are created with a desire for community on purpose. Because we need one another. I love as Paul writes in Romans 12.4, For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. And that's okay. That's okay. We all are gifted differently. We all have different convictions. And as long as it doesn't go against biblical standard, it's okay. We need each other. We are one body with many members. We all have a usefulness. We all have a role to play. The body, in order to work as intended, must have all of its parts working correctly. I used to be pretty big into working out and weightlifting when I was younger. And, and I, 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 would, I would watch people, how they would work out. And, and there would always be the guy that only had big arms, but he had like skinny chicken legs, right? The guy that skipped a leg day, you've seen those people. Or the guys whose legs are like big tree trunks and their, and their arms are like twigs. That's not proper for the body, is it? That's not the way it's intended to be. The body needs to work together. And so when you work out, you need to work all the muscles out in your body to, to build them in unison. Or if you've ever broken your arm, it's a lot more difficult to do things, isn't it? If you've ever been constrained in any way, you understand the importance of the, or the rest of your body. It's no different than the church. If someone in the church fails, the whole church feels it. If you have a member of your local body have a moral failure, the whole church is hurting. I've been a part of church bodies where we've had moral failures in, in leadership, and the whole church felt the pain. Because we're one. We're one body made of many members. And if our members are hurt, we feel it. And we have to be sensitive to those things. We all have the same mission in the church. All of us, we have the same mission. And we need each other to accomplish it. 
Jesus didn't, just didn't talk to the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Yes, that was their orders right then and there, but what did they teach the church? They taught them the same thing, that this is what Jesus told us to do, so we need to go and do it. And as they did it, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because the church was one and they were being obedient. Sharing the truth in love. It wasn't about just individuals. We like this phrase, it's my, my personal faith in Jesus. Find me in the scriptures anywhere where it says it's a personal faith in Jesus. Yes, you and as individual need to accept Jesus Christ, but it doesn't remain a personal faith. Almost every instance in Scripture, when God is talking to someone, he's talking to a nation or to the church. Rarely is it having to do with any one person only. There's a reason for that. Because we are supposed to be unified. And we're supposed to cooperate together. Instead, we find ourselves putting each other down. We find ourselves picking out each other's sins with absolutely no love behind it. We gossip about each other. And when face-to-face, we're the best of friends. One thing ticks me off more in life is when I'm being lied to. When somebody's totally different to my face than they are behind my back. That causes a lot of pain and anger. Because it's supposed to. Because it isn't right. Gossip will destroy a church. It will destroy the church. So if we find ourselves entertaining gossip... You're just as part, much a part of it as the person talking. Matthew 18 tells us to go to the person we have an issue with. To the person. Not to people other than the person, but to that person. And try to work it out. In order for the church to work in unity and cooperation, that has to happen. Gossip cannot rule the day. Because even if it's truth and you, start, and you start talking about it to other people, it is gossip. If you're not willing to go to the person, it's gossip. It's slander and it will destroy the church. Many churches are not churches any longer because of gossip. When the church is mature, unity and cooperation rule the day. That is a sign of maturity. Loving one another through even the most difficult times is what's necessary. We must serve each other and serve others outside of the body of Christ together. It isn't just one man's job. It isn't your pastor's job because that's what he's paid to do. It's the church's job, all of us, to work in unity and cooperation together. The body of Christ grows together as we grow in the word and minister to one another. I think oftentimes we think that because the people who come are, most of them are believers anyway, so, so I don't need to, 
check up on them. I don't need to hold them accountable. I don't need to ask how their spiritual walk is going. A lot of times we don't talk to one another outside of church until, not, not just this, this church, but in general, until somebody's sick or somebody's in the hospital. I can tell you in my life as a, as a pastor, I've been called a handful of times. I could probably put on one hand how many times I've been called by a church member or an elder to say, Dan, how are you doing spiritually today? See, it's not just about our physical needs, is it? In fact, in my mind, the physical stuff's secondary. Because if the spiritual life isn't worked out, there's eternal consequence for those things. There's ramifications for other people. And part of being one church that is in unity and cooperation it means that we are willing to ask the hard questions. And we're not willing just to ask it, but to be a part of the solution. So if you call somebody and they say, well, I'm, I've been struggling with this and this and this, you don't say, okay, well, you're in my prayers, good luck. You are now a part of that. And so as a body of Christ, you would say, what can I do to help you? What do I need to do? to help you in this. You see, that's what church is supposed to be. Of all the places that you should feel safe and accepted, it is the church. People should not fear coming to church. People should not dread having to sit in church and talk with people that are the church of all the places you should feel safe. In youth ministry, I dealt with a lot of troubled kids with troubled homes. I remember one kid saying he didn't feel safe at home with his parents. And that's heartbreaking. Because shouldn't your home be a safe place for you as a child? Yeah. It's the same with the church. We should never have our young people dreading coming to church. Eighty plus percent of young people who graduate high school leave the church. There's a lot of factors to that. But I know one of them is they've been hurt. Or expectations have been great. And they didn't quite meet those expectations. Or they've seen fighting, or they've seen bickering, or they've seen whatever. And as adults who are supposed to be mature in our faith, shame on us for treating each other the way that we do sometimes. Instead, we should be living in unity and in cooperation, working together. It should be safe in the presence of the body of Christ. As our passage says in, says in verse 16, that when each of us is working properly, it makes the whole body grow. The church will not grow numerically until it grows spiritually. 
until the church reaches maturity or is maturing. Now, we'll never reach it fully. But until we're on that path, I believe Scripture supports, even through this passage, that there won't be growth, lasting growth. You may get people visiting and joining and leaving and doing all, but the, the churches that are deeply rooted in Scripture, those are the ones that are going to grow. This is the picture of the church. What do we believe about the church? It's us. It's not what you're sitting on. It's not what you're walking on. It's not the doors you opened. It's you and I. This is who we are. It's all of us here this morning that proclaim Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's those followers of Christ in Asia who have to meet in private because it's illegal to be a Christian. It's also the Christians in the Middle East fighting every day for their lives so that they can continue to raise a new generation of believers. We are all the church. Don't be short-sighted as to say it's just Rosebud. It's everywhere. The church is everywhere. We must understand that as a church, we are called to maturity, and the evidence of the maturity of the body is, is truth joined in love and unity and cooperation. This happens when the individuals who make up the body of Christ work together in unity. When we decide enough is enough, we are going to be obedient to God's word. It's when we decide meeting together as often as we can is a major priority in our lives. Not a once a month thing, not an every other week, but it is a priority weekly to come together, to meet together, to be equipped to go and change the world. So I encourage you and I challenge you to grasp this truth and to take hold of it with all that you are. We need each other, and when the church is working as one, glory and honor is given to God. But I don't think we give glory to God when we don't do what we're supposed to be doing. So let's give honor and glory to Jesus. I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand as we end this sermon, as we end this, and we're going to stand through the rest of the service because that's what we do anyway. But in the temple, they had a practice that when you we're hearing scripture. You didn't sit and listen to it. You stood. And we don't do it all the time in our modern church because we're, it's not, it's a, it was a Jewish practice. It wasn't necessarily a Christian church practice, but sometimes it's good to draw attention to what we're reading. So would you all please stand as I close with Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for this opportunity that we've had to come to worship you. I pray, God, that you would have your way in this church. Father, that as the members of the body, that we would we would allow you to change us. That we would allow you, God, to teach us 
how to be obedient. We thank you so much for your grace that is our salvation in you. It's your name we pray. Amen. As we sing in a moment, I want to invite you that if you're here this morning and you've not given your life to Jesus before,